Oh, so Jesus, I thank you that you're here with us. I thank you that your presence is with us. And uh, we've come to meet with you this morning. So uh, Lord, I just welcome you here. I mean, you already are, but I welcome you here this morning. So grateful for your presence. I mean, this community is awesome, but if you weren't here, then none of us would show up anyway. So we're grateful for you. So we're going to take communion today. Uh, we have physical stuff. We have bread. We have wine. We were joking as we were setting up this morning that, um, you know, we all eat from the same loaf. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we kind of don't, but we kind of do because we are all here to eat Jesus in a funny kind of way. There are some, there are some mysterious things about the sacraments and the things that we do and the beautiful rituals of Christianity that are, that are frankly mysterious. And, uh, this is, there is much more going on than what we can see. So when we take the bread and we take the wine, there is more going on than we see. Um, I just want to read, uh, I believe this comes from Iona, um, but it, this is the, I think it's Iona's um, liturgy for communion. It says, the table of bread is now to be made ready. It's the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It's the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It's the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more. You who've been here often and you who've not been here for a long time. You who've tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come because it is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Loving God, through your goodness, we have this bread and juice to offer, which has come forth from the earth and human hands have made. May we know your presence in the sharing so that we might know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among his community through the centuries and shares with us here and now, made one in Christ and one with each other. We offer these gifts to each other and with them ourselves, a single living act of praise. So let's eat and drink together. Come, Lord Jesus. Yours the seed, God, yours the growth, yours the water, and yours the thirst, yours the wild, and yours the tame. You are within us, God, and within all creation, and you are beyond. Shape and fill us this day and all creation with your grace. Amen. And let me tell you, we are going to take a pause on communion because next week is the first Sunday in Lent. So we will be pausing communion for the next six weeks. Sunday is a feast day, but it's hard to kind of mark the fact that we're in Lent on a Sunday. So anyway, we're going to pause communion and then we'll come back Easter Sunday with a big, yes, it's a party. Um, so we're going to be doing some different kinds of practices through Lent. So that's just a little taster of what is to come. Thank you. And I think we hand off to Leah and Mark. There we are. 
Okay, welcome to the reading this morning. The reading this morning is Psalm 50 verses 1 to 6. I'm going to kind of guide you through uh, the process here to begin with. And just to say that that uh, there will be, we're going to read it twice, and there will be a silence of 30 seconds between the readings. Now, it might feel like um, a fairly long time with practice. Um, it can become a sort of a treasured space that uh, we can hear God with our hearts in a unique way. And there's nothing about scholarship or, or any, anything that uh, you know in depth. Just hearing the words and practicing with your heart and receiving what, uh, what God is telling you. And, of course, sharing that on, uh, on chat as well. But we'll read it twice. And it'll be that, that gap in between. And uh, Leah will read uh, the scripture to you from that time. So, Leah, you go ahead. Psalm 50, a psalm of Asaph. Lord, the mighty one is God, and he has spoken. He has summoned all humanity from where the sun rises to where it sets. From Mount Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines in glorious radiance. Our God approaches, and he is not silent. Fire devours everything in his way. And a great storm rages around him. He calls on the heavens above and the earth below to witness the judgment of his people. <clears throat> Bring my faithful people to me, those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. Then let the heavens proclaim his justice, for God himself will be the judge. So a couple of words about uh, what we're reading this morning, and then I'll let you... Um, uh, take it in for yourselves in this way. You notice in verse 5 and 6, it talks about bring my faithful people to me, those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. I read through it and, and it talks about um, something about judgment and Israel and so on. And verse 6 says, then let the heavens proclaim his justice for God himself will be the judge. And I, when I reflected on uh, Psalms, other Psalms of Asaph and also David, especially David, um, David had this incredible ache in his heart to have a personal relationship with God. Um, and of course, for the people of Israel, God was in the temple. That was the place. And for David, um, he knew that sacrifices were a really important part on a frequent basis. But it occurred to me that the, there is a new covenant in Jesus Christ in reading this. And the very passion and ache that David had in his heart, we have come to realize that we have a personal Christ, that there's a new covenant, Jesus Christ, one sacrifice for all time. <clears throat> the very passion and ache that David had in his heart, um, we now know that we can have. We can have the, the God in our hearts that David never really had that, that close relationship <clears throat> in that sense that he wanted. And of course, we have an access that, that David never had. The temple now, of course, is our bodies, our hearts. And uh, God lives within us because we've accepted Jesus Christ. So what's really powerful about that for me is with that access, the question I have for myself and for all of us is, what am I doing with that access as we read through this? So just ponder the words. We'll have a silence now and just taking a look at it, what you've got in front of you for the, uh, for the verses. Perhaps uh, on chat, you can say something if you wish, something that occurs to you but uh, I'll leave you with your, your space.
The Lord, the Mighty One, is God, and he has spoken. He has summoned all humanity from where the sun rises to where it sets, from Mount Zion, the perfect perfection of beauty. God shines in glorious radiance. Our God approaches, and he is not silent. Fire devours everything in his way, and a great storm rages around him. He calls on the heavens above and the earth below to witness the judgment of his people. Bring my faithful people to me, those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. Then let the heavens proclaim his justice, for God himself will be the judge. So may God be glorified in the reading of his word. Thank you. Just before you start, Eden, let me pray for you. So God, I thank you for Eden. I pray God that you would speak through her this morning. I pray that you would speak to her this morning. I pray God that you would be her strength mm. and her shield. You would be her strong tower and place to run to. Um, where she's not been feeling great this week. I pray that you would uh, change that this morning, that she would be feeling better by the time she's finished than where she starts. Mm. Amen. Good morning. Um, today's passage is from Mark 9. I'm going to quickly read it um, before we start here. It's not very long. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. He led them up a high mountain. They were all alone. There in front of them, his appearance was changed. His clothes became so white they shone. They were whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Elijah and Moses appeared in front of Jesus and his disciples. The two of them were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, is it good for us to be here? Oh, it is good for us to be here. Let us put, our three shel put up three shelters. One will be for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter didn't really know what to say because they were so afraid. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. A voice came from the cloud and it said, this is my son and I love him. 
listen to him. They looked around. Suddenly, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. They came down the mountain, and on the way down, Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen. He told them to wait until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. I've had a lot of people share with me that they have a really hard time reading the Bible. Uh, either it was used against them by someone who liked to weaponize scripture to control or manipulate, or they have just read too many isolated passages that left them frustrated, angry, confused, or just unable to make any sense of it at all. The Bible is comprised of both historical and fictional accounts. Some of it is long lists of laws, some is poetry, some is prophetic. Some of the books are letters written to individuals or groups of people. It has not been compiled for us in a linear historical timeline. So that can make it difficult to read. But early on in, the ch in church history, the leaders created the church calendar that walks us through the redemption story annually. <clears throat> this had roots in the Jewish calendar that framed scripture in their own drama of redemption. So we follow a lectionary which lays out the passages for each day and each Sunday in order for us to navigate through scripture in a way that uses the whole library to tell us the redemption story. It allows us to see how the books of Moses, the Psalms, the Gospels, and the Epistles all line up and overlap and nuance the story. The liturgy and the lectionary serve as a framework that we use to see how the scriptures come together to tell the story of Jesus. Brad wrote this earlier uh, this week in an article. The church calendar is like an auger that cycles deeper and deeper through the clay to access the pure springs of a deep faith. Too often, we've opted, we've opted instead to dig random holes throughout the yard so that when the rain comes, we're drinking from a selection of shallow, muddy puddles. The lectionary organizes scripture around the story of Jesus. It inserts the passages into a story timeline, taking the guesswork out of it for us. And if you follow it, you may also find that some of the difficult passages, when read in context of the big story, actually have their place and have a purpose. Having grown up in a church that followed the church calendar very loosely, basically only Easter and Christmas, I have come to realize, even with four years of Bible college, that the significance of some of these stories were lost on me. While I could regurgitate the story, the value and the significance had not really been instilled in me. And I wouldn't want to blame my former pastors or teachers for that. To be honest, I just was not a very good listener. So let's just segue for a moment to touch on the challenge we face these days 
with the plethora of voices, thank you El Guapo, that we are inundated with each day. There's the news, pick your poison, the commentators, the talking heads, the tweeters, the podcasts, the YouTubers and the op-eds. There are protesters, politicians, activists, and conspiracy theorists. Then there's conservatives, liberals, greens, libertarians, socialists, and so many more, it's ridiculous. If we have to give each other, if we have to give each voice and faction and opinion equal billing, we will drown in the cacophony of those voices. So how do we know who or what to listen to? I'm hoping this morning's talk will help you with sorting that out. Our passage for this morning is from Mark 9. And within the church calendar is referred to as the transfiguration. This is actually a really significant part of Jesus' story and our theology, and it is vital to the ultimate ending of the story. So Jesus taps Peter, James, and John and says, hey boys, it's time for a little hike. The story doesn't say what the other disciples did during this time, but only that it was Jesus and these three disciples that went up the mountain. It's probably important to notice that Moses went up a mountain too and met with Jehovah and that ultimately brought forth the Ten Commandments. Jesus and the three get to, do a, get to a spot on the mountain and suddenly Jesus's appearance changes. His clothes turned white and shone, whiter than bleach could get them. And then suddenly Elijah and Moses appeared on either side of Jesus and they were in a conversation. To be fair to the disciples, this was probably very spooky and unnerving for them. But Peter has this bright idea in the mix of this scene. And Brian Zahn inspired this humorous account. So Peter pipes up and says, oh, it's really good we're here. Let's make three pavilions. We'll sell tickets, we'll print some brochures, we'll build some rides for the kids. We'll get tour buses up here. We'll get some food trucks so people can hang around, maybe some picnic tables over there. And this will be the hottest ticket in town. But in the middle of Peter laying out his business plan, a cloud covers them and a voice speaks. Just before we get to what was said, I wanna point something out. The Jews had misinterpreted Moses's law as a form of salvation. The misinterpretation was something like this. We'll behave our way to glory and we'll have kings that will lead us to God. And we will have a kingdom here on earth because we can't see our way to having a kingdom in heaven. The prophets were the hope that the Jews held that one day a savior would come and he would save them from their enslavements, bringing them to freedom and establishing a kingdom that could not be toppled. The Jews were caught in the tension of listening to two voices, their misinterpretation of the law, obey your way to God, 
or the skinny hope that there really was a better way, less dependent on human behavior and a lot more miraculous. Up until this moment, the Jews had two clear voices that they listened to, the law and the prophets. But there we find Jesus standing between those two voices and there's a conversation going on between them. But with the addition of Peter's bright idea, a cloud covers them all and another voice rings out. This is my son and I love him. Listen to him. And then the cloud lifted and it was only Jesus standing there. So why only Jesus? Because God had just sent a clear message to the three disciples and ultimately to all of us who read, who read these words. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. In Matthew 5, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. This was Jesus making a course correction for the Jews' misinterpretation of the purpose of the law. It was so much greater than a set of rules to live by. It was instituted to serve our relationship with God. Jesus sums up all the law and all the prophets in Matthew 22 with these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Everything about the law hung on these two laws. And Jesus is also the fulfillment of the hope that the prophets wrote of. Jesus was very conscious of the prophecies that he was fulfilling about the Savior and would point to them along the way. So Peter, seeing Moses and Elijah with Jesus, assumed that they were equals. Thus the three pavilions. But the Father's very own voice cleared up that notion. Jesus is the one who we listen to. The law and the prophets have to bow to the living word of God in name, Jesus. The law and prophets were voices pointing the Jews to Jesus, but now that he had arrived, those voices took a seat to anything that Jesus said. And that's why it's so important to immerse ourselves in the Gospels. This is where we see our how Jesus conducted himself how he learned and saw and taught us about himself and the Father. This is where the red letters exist and where we can clearly see how the law and prophets come together and are fulfilled in Jesus. Anything we read in scripture that is not sifted through Jesus's words and ways will likely make us sick. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, apart from Jesus, the scriptures are a ministry of condemnation, but with Jesus, all scripture points to reconciliation. In the Father's short message while the, hung, uh, while the cloud hung over them, three things are established. The voice they hear and the man they see before them are related. And this brings to light in case there's any question exactly who Jesus is. Not just a man, not even just a good man, and not just a prophet like Elijah. 
Jesus is the son of God. Both of them having confirmed that with their voices, Jesus referring to God as his father and God referring to his son as G to Jesus as his son. Then the voices, then the voice says, I love him. And there's also this emotional heartfelt connection between father, Abba and Jesus. This establishes the relationship between father and son. The father loves the son and is not just using him to meet some ultimate need of the father, but they are bound in a loving relationship. And then finally, listening to him. This is God's authorization and confirmation of Jesus's messages. And with the disappearance of Moses and Elijah, might I add, Jesus is now the authority. And here's the important part of all of, of all of us to understand as we read scripture. Moses and Elijah had disappeared after God's declaration. The law and the prophets no longer had equal billing at this carnival show. The father had clearly stated, listen to him. The law and the prophets all point to Jesus, the plan and the hope for salvation, and they must now bow to the fulfillment of all they said represented in Jesus. This doesn't mean that the Old Testament should be discarded. What it does mean is that you must always take Jesus with you when you read it. Always use the lens of Jesus's teaching. For instance, when you're reading an Old Testament passage that is violent, it does not get equal billing with the teachings of Jesus that point to peace. It's not an argument to be taken up and weighed on scales. When a passage contradicts the truth of Jesus, then it is pointing at our humanity, at our brokenness, and at our feeble attempts to take control. If everything in the law and prophets is pointing to Jesus, then let it point to Jesus. If a story is messed up and violent, it's not condoning that violence and teaching us that God wanted that to happen. It's putting on display the very need we have for a savior and to expose the human condition. It begs for a Messiah to come. We can see and read all the ways we as humans keep trying to bring our own form of a utopia and how we keep trying to save ourselves. You only have to read a few historical accounts, not even ancient history, though it's there too. But look at the last hundred years or the last five years and you will see exactly how our humanity tries to wrestle for control and become their own saviors. But if you read through these accounts and the cycles that we repeat, you will see that without Jesus, we come to a hopeless, meaningless, and often violent existence. The transfiguration is so very important to how we understand scripture. The weight of the books within it and the way we are meant to read it. 
Let's not toss out the Bible because we're trying to listen to all the voices equals. God the Father has let his kids tell the story. And dare I say, if we let our kids tell a story of who we are and how we are, we might be surprised by what they write. So let's go back to my introduction about all those voices that inundate us every day. Let's take a few minutes to sort that out for ourselves by listening to Jesus this morning. It might help to close your eyes for this listening exercise, just so you can engage your imagination or the eyes of your heart. Imagine that Jesus has invited you up to the mountain on that day. You've climbed up quite a ways and then you notice that Jesus is changing in appearance. Suddenly there are two others with him. Peter, James, and John saw those two as Moses and Elijah. But who might those two be for you? Do you have heroes? Do you have voices in your life? People you listen to that you've given your ears to? There are so many voices these days and so many ways for them to get into our heads. We'll ask Jesus a couple of questions to help us out. Jesus, show me who I've given a mic to in my life. In other words, who am I listening to that takes your place? You might want to let Jesus take you through your day and show you the out loud voices you spend time listening to. Does that voice or do those voices sound like Jesus? If you had to choose between Jesus's words and this other person's words, which would you most identify with? We might ask, but how do we know what Jesus would say about current events? How can we actually listen to Jesus? Well, here's the kind of fruit that comes from listening to Jesus. If we're listening to him, we embody love. We have deep joy. We are at peace. We have patience to spare. We demonstrate goodness. We are faithful. We endeavor to be gentle and are able to show self-control. At the very least, we are on a path towards that fruit. And any voice that turns us in another direction is not Jesus's voice, the very voice that the Father instructed us to listen to. Consider this, my friends. 
you have only so much capacity to take all those voices in. Let Jesus's voice be the primary authority you listen to. Let's pray. We are listening, Jesus. Show us the way. Amen.